I mean, don't slurp. <sighs> it's so hot, that tea. I always get told off for drinking my tea when it's hot. Because Nikki lets it go really cold and then just goes wallop. No, that's absurd. What's the point? Yeah, that's nice. kind of, oh, my, my dad does that as well. What? He just sits there. You've, you've made him a nice cup of coffee or a cup yeah. of tea. And like 20 minutes later, you think, do you, do you even care? You wait and wait and wait and wait and then just drink it all. Why does, why does, he not, why does she not just order an, an iced coffee or an iced tea? Or oh, whatever? no, that's sacrilege. That's heresy. So my what? dad will only drink coffee in very small, not, not like espresso mugs, but he'll drink like Nescafe. Thimbles. But in, he's got like two or three specific mugs. And when you go around and say, Dad, do you want a cup, of t- a cup of coffee? He'll go, no, and make himself one. It's really odd. What? So if you offer to make him a cup of coffee, he will say no. And then he will make himself a cup of coffee instead. He, only he does it right. I am like oh, that some, uh, with people at work. Yeah. Whenever people are doing a round of brews, depending on who asks, you accept or you decline. Because I, I You're very fussy, though, with your no, tea, I just like you? it. I like it milky with a sugar. And it's not normal, particularly in this area of the country, to have a milky tea. So you only ask the person who understands a milky tea to make your tea. Yeah, but I've, Otherwise, you have to go back to the kitchen and do it again. Gives you a cup of tea. You look, it's looks like the teacups farted. You always look at it. And, oh, yeah, that's a stupid look on your face. Surely that would be unmilky. It's not quite good enough. You know? <laughs> Is this quite right? Go on then. I can have a bit more milk. Just drink it. It's not going to kill you, is it? I don't really make my. Are you listening to any of this, Rory? No, I've tuned out. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just. Tea, you just drink tea, like coffee, and matter. Tire. I don't really. I don't really with urine. I don't care. I don't really drink tea. To be honest, I'm not a tea drinker. Yeah. Well, he's sophisticated. He's a coffee drinker. It's That's not sophisticated. I have very very unsophisticated un- unsophisticated taste in coffee. Very unsophisticated way of saying unsophisticated. Absolutely, yeah. Well, Rory is one of the few people I know who still makes uh, coffee from uh, instant granules. Yeah. I can't be bothered making it. It's just la- that's laziness, not, not a palate. I'm not an aristocrat. <laughs> it's just it's just very <laughs> undisbury of you. I have been told. Yeah, it's just so poncy. Like, oh, do you want a coffee? What sort of roast do you want? <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. Just give me some sort of shot of. I'd inject it straight into my veins if I could. We did we did, we did have a um, we did have a work, workman at our house uh, quite recently who you know said, do you want a tear? That's a euphemism. Yeah. <laughs> do you want a tea or a coffee? I'm just ignoring you. Um, and he said, he said coffee. And I said, oh, you know, do, do you want a caf- is the cafetiere okay? And he, have you not got instant coffee? Yeah. He was horrified. So I had to go out and get instant coffee so I can make this guy a cup of coffee. We've actually had a, we've had a very difficult time recently trying to buy instant coffee because we've, we've tr- we're trying to go Nestle free. Uh, which is really hard with instant coffee. I've been told by Gemma, who is the coffee drinker in our house, I don't drink coffee at all. Famously. That the uh, Nespresso that I give you guys when you come yeah. round to our house, which is something that I very much enjoy doing because I haven't paid for them, mm. Um, mm. that she has just recently ordered some premium Nespresso and I am to keep them separate so as to make sure that I don't offer you them because they cost like a pound a go. It's ridiculous. That so, is tight-fisted. So you don't drink coffee because... I don't like the taste of it. Oh. Well, well, hang on. Extraordinary That's a pretty, good, that's a pretty good reason. That, <laughs> You've picked it? him up on entirely the wrong aspect yeah. of what yeah. he's just said. Yeah. Yeah. He's saying that when we go around to his house yes. to do set-piece menu, mm. we're going to get the inferior We're being fobbed coffee. off. We're being fobbed off. What's the, that about, Ferris? According, to, according to Rory, you're happy with granules, so you can have granules. Well, no, it's not that's, that's that's no, it's not, it's not that they're <laughs> he's happy. Not, he's completely baffled. By it's it. not that they're happy with granules. It's that they're only getting offered granules. There is no... I mean, I do have cafetiere coffee. I just think it's incredibly lausch to drink it, so I'm not, I'm not going to. Incredibly what? Lausch. 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 Have we come across another that? word that Chinch isn't quite familiar no, with? No, I think I've said it wrong. Lausch. 
Slouch, slouch. I've only ever Loosh. seen it written down. Loosh. <laughs> L-O-U-C-H-E. Maybe we should edit all of this out. Isn't that toboggan? That's oh, luge. That <laughs> is a um, that is a luge. Yes, What's correct. What's louch? Never heard of it. What is it? It's a bit like debauch and a bit kind of um, like a man with an open net shirt what, with a medallion deep, with a deep V. Yeah, deep V. I'm still none the wiser. Well, Chinch is thinking. Hang on a minute. I was wearing that I, just on Saturday night. Yeah. That is one of my major looks. <laughs> one of his sex outfits. <laughs> <laughs> Super dry. Twice a year. <laughs> Super dry. Do a, a lovely low V neck. July and December. <laughs> Wham. Welcome to Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. I'm Hugh Ferris. When I was a teenager, I thought I played football like Jamie Redknapp. When Rory Smith was a teenager, he thought he played football like Rui Costa. He rolled down his socks and everything. When Stephen Wyeth was a teenager, he thought he played football like Gary Stevens. Exceptional passing vision. That was the most glamorous right back he could possibly think of. And when Andy Hinchcliffe was a teenager, he actually played football like Andy Hinchcliffe. Wow. Which was a major achievement both yes. at the time and also I now. I wish I'd played it like Stuart Pearce. That's <laughs> true. Seven you caps mean, would have been seven. You were yes. passionate Do you mean to technically worse than you but with more shouting? So you're saying that I was better technically than Stuart Pearce? That's how I, how I remember you, yeah. Seriously? Like, yeah, you just you, you shouted less, so which obviously made you a worse footballer. Shouted less. So if I'd shouted more, I could. Who knows what you could have achieved? Damn. You too could have missed this. This information is like yeah, twenty years too late for yeah. it. Yeah. This is why I should go into sort of guiding young players' careers. Shout more. <laughs> yeah. Shout more. Shout and more. Passion. Passion. Shout more passion. tattoos. Yeah. In thirty years' time, you could be fronting a Betfred photo campaign. Oh, I imagine. Which is, well, just imagine the whole world of, of excitement and pain. Hmm. We should explain that the food that we're eating is not very good for us, but it is incredibly tasty. You know those M&S two for four? Um, what, what would you describe? Two for four pounds. You've either got the millionaire shortbread bites. You've got the Caramel rice crispy bites. Things, yeah. We have had far too many of them already, and they will be accompanying us for the rest of this uh, edition of Set Piece Menu. Who are you saving the other tub from the two for four pounds mm. for? Me. <laughs> that, that's not we've technically just, we've food. We've just seen the it? Rice Krispies. It is, it is more it's than technically fe- food. It, but when would you have... When are we having it now? But it's not a meal, is it? What, 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 it could how be can a meal. How can we just have enough of diabetic? Did it, but, did, it, did it with rice? <laughs> rice? Well, there are rice. Oh, exactly, they're already... Chocolate there. on them as well. Oh, Rice Krispies. Yeah. And, you're you're and getting staple there. Bonded with caramel, which is one of the major So you're groups. now saying that this... When your child is born. Oh my God, yeah. Yes. Straight to, Let's yeah. sit down and have Sunday lunch. Liquidised. Let's have a bowl <laughs> of millionaire issue, shortbread bites. Our issue is there's one left. I know. And no. I'm not entirely sure mm. what the protocol is here. But um, whoever you hear with that kind of unpleasant, close-up, cloying yeah. chewing sound, Steve. that'll be the culprit. Well, strictly speaking, the strongest person should eat it. That's the way that this would work in a hunter-gatherer society. Do you mean mentally or physically? Physically. Physically strong. Who is, the physically, who is the physically strongest of us? Well, no, because the physically strongest doesn't require the sustenance as much. That's Maybe true. Yeah, the, that's um, true. The weakest. One of the weakest. Yeah. Hugh, over to you. <laughs> Thanks very much. I'm going to pile straight into that. Uh, do continue to get in touch. We enjoy being able to talk to people who don't share our surnames once in a while, so please do uh, send emails to setpiecemenu at gmail.com and on Twitter as well, at setpiecemenu. Um, everybody who has got in touch via either one of those two uh, media Thank you very much indeed. We do very much appreciate it. And Steve, who is the social media manager, the marketing arm of this operation, is incredibly busy and he likes to be incredibly busy. So if you feel like he's having a bit of a slow day, then get in touch well, and say you, hello. If, you, if you're not getting in touch via Twitter or via email, I might have to spend time with my children. Hmm. Yeah, so, man, you know, yeah. you're doing me a favour. I'm have to go to the park and kick a ball around or, you know, push a three-year-old on a swing. Why would I want to do that? Although not this week, because this week... 
You, you two aren't here, are you? Well, you two aren't the, actually here this, this week. This is the other huge burden of responsibility that I have in my life, which is consuming my, my every waking moment. It's Hugh Stagdu. Exactly. We are sending Hugh off into married life in considerable <laughs> style. Like that, could have, that sentence could have gone in a very sinister way. We yeah. are sending Hugh off on some sort of container ship into yeah. the middle of nowhere, mm. and he Which will be, be for classic Stagdu <laughs> banter. Well, the, the, great thing, the great thing is that Hugh knows that we are stepping onto a jet plane, Mm-hmm. But he doesn't know that we're all stepping onto the same jet plane. Hang on, Hugh, what do you know about your stand I know that we are going abroad, and that's pretty much it. That's all you know? Yeah. Okay. And he knows you all know more. And he knows you all know more. That, that, that some of us are coming back. Ah, I see, yeah. And you really don't need eyebrows for wedding photos, do you? No. No. Well, we've possibly given him enough time for him to what? grow back a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, the wedding isn't for yeah. another uh, four weeks. It's very so. difficult to find mankinis in his size, by the way. I can imagine. Normally Is I'm that a compliment? <laughs> it sounds like it might be a compliment. <laughs> That's true. Um, normally I'm quite ebullient and uh, full of energy for these podcasts, so I suddenly have a rather sick feeling in yeah. my stomach. Uh, so we'll probably move on. And as last week, we are once again relying on slightly broader imaginations of our tremendous listeners uh, to provide us with our discussion topic on Set Piece Menu this week. And this comes from Richard. I'm going to lift it almost word for word from an email because A, it's very eloquently put, and B, it saves me having to write a pithy intro. So here we go. One thing I've always wondered, says Richard, about football is how much I really know about it. I read a lot, I watch as much as my life and TV subscriptions allow, and I play Friday nights in Battersea Park, so I should have at least a halfway decent clue. However, I regularly hear former pros on talk shows telling callers that they couldn't understand football as they haven't played at the highest level. It might be my own arrogance, but I feel that as a reasonably intelligent man with a knowledge of the principles of the sport, there is nothing on that pitch that is impossible for me to understand. In short, to what extent could someone who has never played at the highest level truly understand the game? Chinch, you played at the highest level, and yet you don't understand the game at all. (laughs) No, I didn't. Here's the paradox. Mm. No, have you levelled that sort of an accusation against, for example, us, the non-initiated? Never, never, never. The only thing you don't know is what it's actually like to put your boots and kit on and play an England international or play in a cup final. That experience of maybe one or two or maybe ten matches is what you don't have. Or seven. Or seven <laughs> matches. <laughs> cup final. Point out no, wait a minute. Seven internationals. They were in the cup finals. Nine. Yes, you're probably right. You're probably <laughs> Single right. Figures. Yes. Just, Single figures. Can I just yes. ask a question of the other two non-initiated? Does Chinch also text you every morning and say, you never played for England? <laughs> <laughs> I'm waking up as a former England international. Sometimes you've got to you? put a marker down. <laughs> I've, I've, but, I've, bl- I've, blocked, I've blocked messages that come directly from him. So yeah. you can only communicate communicate via the uh, the shared WhatsApp group. The, one of the two shared yeah, WhatsApp yeah, groups. Yeah. That yeah. picture of me naked, the other one does England cap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That picture. No, but it is, it is, it is that, of course, if you've got a brain and you've watched football over a number of years, I've learned more, I'd hate to say this, from speaking to you lot about the game. What? Than I'd, I've learned from, from players, because players aren't necessarily very intelligent. And they can't maybe... I'm going to let that what? bombshell sort of drop wow. right there in the middle of the table. We've Shocker. come up with some pretty big revelations on this <laughs> yes. podcast. That but you know it's true, don't you? Sometimes if you want a, a kind of informed opinion on the game, the last person you should probably speak to is a footballer. And yet we always talk to footballers, and those footballers, yes. when we try and challenge them on those beliefs, as Richard said, yes. he is patronised 
and put down, so why do they do it? Well, maybe it's because the players can't fully explain themselves, so rather than actually try and work out what to say and, 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 and explain themselves better, they just say, well, you can't understand it because you've never played the game. The only thing you've not experienced, as I say, is actually playing, putting your, book, your kit on your boots and playing in those matches. That experience, of course, you don't have. So but that doesn't mean you don't understand the game. So for the purpose of this conversation and drawing a line between what we can or we cannot understand. I'm speaking hopefully on behalf of our listeners, unless former pros also listen, in which mm. case I'm not. Uh, but perhaps you could tell us in explicit terms Ooh. what what you're able to tell us or even remember <laughs> mm. about those times, about crossing the white line and, and what what that brings to bear for your current job. But it's, it's, it's the decisions maybe that you make. You can always work backwards and say, well, well, why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why did you play this pass? Why did you make that mistake? It's because of, of actually being there and then going back to that time. But that's why I always feel I've learned more since I stepped away from the game, speaking to people, watching the game and actually broadening my experience of it. When you're actually playing it, sometimes you can get so blinkered in playing your own position. This was true of me and maybe true of a lot of players at my time of playing. You were so concerned about getting your own game right. You didn't think about what goalkeepers or centre forwards or, or midfielders were doing. You were so concerned about playing well yourself. You didn't think about the game more broadly. Now it's maybe different because the education of players is a little bit more different so they think a bit more differently so maybe players that we talk to in the next 10-15 years will have a better understanding of the job they're actually doing at the time they're doing it. I've learned more since I stopped playing looking back and then relating it to my experiences as well but learning more about the game when I'm actually able to sit and watch it and try and digest it and speak to people who actually understand it better than I do. Presumably the, the thing that you can't understand if you've not played at the highest level is the psychology of it. That's mm. the one thing that whenever I write about it that I'm, I'm, or t talk about it, I'm always conscious not to say, kind of, oh, he should have done this or, or must have done this because of that. You, you, the pressure that, that you're under in that situation. There are examples in civilian life where you can kind of compare it, but you can't ever have the full-on empathy of what it's like to be in that situation, under that pressure, under those lights, with all mm. of those fans. I think that there is an element there that you can't, Unless you have played football professionally, you can't understand the mindset that the yeah, players are yeah. in. I think that's definitely true. Yeah. The rest of it is nonsense, and it's nonsense because, and I'm going to steal wholeheartedly from uh, the book The Numbers Game by Chris Anderson and David Sally, edited by Rory Smith, <laughs> in which... Although nobody really remembers who edits anything. No one ever... Not too many spoilers, Rory. I've not read it yet. Not... Well, you're missing out, <laughs> Steve. But in what can only be described as... Uh, eloquent and enthralling prose uh, the <laughs> or at least it was after it being edited yeah, the yes, argument yes. is made that football is about protected knowledge so former players and coaches and managers people from the inside have traded on in a literal sense they've made money from they've built their careers on having access to this privileged knowledge that those of us mere mortals on the outside can't have mm -hmm. and that phrase you've never played the game so you don't know is the manifestation of that. It's saying, I have this privileged knowledge that you don't have, so I am more entitled to earn this money than you are. Mm. That's basically all it is. It's, it, it is nonsense. It, it means nothing. There is nothing that that you can't understand about the the tactics of football, the technique of football, the, the pattern of play, the nature of the game, any of that stuff, if you haven't played, probably helps to have kicked a ball around a bit, to be honest, and maybe play for a Sunday league team or something. But if you watch enough of it, you you can you you don't have to be a painter to know that what what a nice painting is. You don't have to have been a horse to be a jockey. <laughs> but also, we give players I feel too much credit as if they, when things happen on the pitch and things go well, is that they've 
seen something and behaved in a certain way and reacted to a certain thing, a lot of it is actually instinctive. They're not thinking about it as maybe you would expect them to do. Yes, if you're naturally gifted at something, yes. it almost makes you less qualified yes. to yes. try and explain it. it just because, well, yeah, how, many, yeah. how many of these great goals do we see? Tell us about the goal. Well, I just hit it. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you, they couldn't ex- because, again, it's just something that happens. They don't think about it, and that's what makes it so uh, amazingly good. Yeah. And I, I think you're absolutely right. When you take those people and then say, right, break it down. Why did you play that forward pass? Did you see that he had dropped off and he had made the forward run? No, no, I just, I just, I don't know why I just played the forward pass. And that's sometimes as simple as players think. So to then say, to come out of the game and then say, you don't understand the game. Well, at the time that you did it, you weren't really thinking about it. You were just doing things instinctively. It wasn't as if you had this superior knowledge that we, we're not privy to. Yeah. So that's what anybody and everybody, is, their, their opinion is, is valid in, in, in my opinion. And then you take it from there and just see whether that fits in with how you see it. There's, there's almost, um, we see it with managers, don't we? Sort of look at the likes of Wenger, Mourinho, Alex Ferguson. None of them played at a level. Oh, Fergie! Would have made you. Oh, Fergie! Well, Ooh, for Rangers, careful. yeah, but Rangers. in Scotland, but none of them, <laughs> that might none be of the them point. achieved greatness as <laughs> Sorry, a player. That yeah, that was the platform for the path into management. So it's it's similar, true in some ways of of footballers turned pundits, for example. That is, you know, if you if you were exceptionally gifted. You know, if you're a Wayne Rooney or a, a Cristiano Ronaldo or a Lionel Messi, does it actually make you, you know, less qualified to go into life as a as a pundit afterwards? Because you you those natural gifts mean that your ability to analyse and explain the game yeah, to other yeah. people is you know is a lot harder to justify than, than maybe somebody who had a, an average career had to work very hard at it, had to spend time learning the intricacies of the game, and and therefore actually you know to go into coaching or or punditry or analysis of the game is, is a more logical step for them because they've had to work, yeah, yeah. work at it as, as, a, as a player as well. But it's all individual, whether you played or not and to, whatever, to what level you played. So the, the theory, as you say, is always that the greatest players don't make great coaches, but there are two or three quite significant examples, Johan Cruyff being the best one, where that clearly isn't true. Johan Cruyff is clearly one of the greatest players of all time and one of the greatest managers of all time. So it's, it is entirely possible. But it's to do with how much you think. So Cruyff was a great player who was obviously thinking about what he was doing, whereas you get great players who are relying entirely on instincts, and that doesn't make them any less great as players, but it means that they're not seeing the game in the same way as someone who's thinking about it a lot. And that, and it's the same with people who don't play, that you get fans who, or football fans who, who can watch as much football as you like and not really attain a particularly great understanding of what's actually happening on, on the field of play. And you can get fans who watch loads of football and actually have a pretty good understanding of what's going on. There's a great story I heard about apparently David Wagner, coach at Huddersfield, and Jurgen Klopp when they were together at Mainz. Mainz? They were players, roommates at Mainz. While they were players, they came up with this method, this high-press method of playing while they were players, not coaches so they were rooming together so already you can see players at that level that's that's very unusual isn't it for players to be thinking that deeply about the game that they're playing at the time they're playing it about another 15 years down the line about the type of football they would want to instill in their teams so they were basically had a coach's head on while they were playing the game and I'm not sure there's too many certainly English players who think that deeply about the job that they're doing so then it's hugely disrespectful if you leave the game and then say to somebody else well you've never played football you can't understand it well hang on a minute you didn't understand it 
while you were actually playing it. So you've got to be very careful about throwing this criticism out that if you have never kicked a ball at the highest level, it means that you can't discuss the game with me. It's rubbish. Funnily enough, the people who have played at the highest level and then cast that aspersion on others who haven't played at all mm. are almost casting the same aspersion on those players who haven't played at the highest level mm. yeah. who are often thinkers because they have been planning for a coaching career because they yeah, know yeah. that their playing career might not reach the heights mm. that others have. So, so actually, somebody who has played at the highest level and having a go at somebody who hasn't mm. is having a go at the likes of Jurgen Klopp and, and David Wagner who are yeah, clearly yeah. now yes. doing things that that person who's played at the highest level is struggling yeah. to describe. Yes, exactly, yes. I know that we, we tend to go over on this podcast, don't we? Do we? We tend to be longer than we intend to be. Never. I think the hatchet that I apply is, is always You mean go over the top welcome. of the ball like a John Joe Shelby tackle? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. The, um, what oh, reckless, what out of control. Is there's, a, there's a, an awful lot of material <laughs> lying around for a director's cut version exactly. of the podcast. When we An get to X-rated. Like the 20-year the, the, the yeah. anniversary, for, for example. For example, the last minute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, but we tend to do over on this podcast, and I'm concerned that this might be quite a brief episode, as the question was... Uh, can you know anything about football if you haven't played the game? And we've just gone, yep. So, <laughs> uh, to broaden out a little bit, I think that the the kind of dogma of if you haven't played at the highest level, and Steve's right, it's not just about not having played, it's about having played at the highest level, that's very important, is really dangerous. I think it's an incredibly dangerous thing to be allowed to be accepted and not challenged does it prevent you from a getting external opinions which is the way you drive things forward and change things often it's people who come from outside the game who can say actually this isn't a particularly sensible way of doing things maybe you should do it differently clive woodward accepted <laughs> yeah maybe not clive woodward but then clive no does the problem with clive woodward is that he went in with a set of received ideas he was this worked for me once and in fact bloody Clive Woodward. <laughs> the, that's the exact problem with, with this way of thinking, that it's, this worked for me, so it has to work for everyone. That's what that says. You haven't played the game, so you don't know, is when I was a player, or, or now that I'm a player, this is how I do things, so that must be how everyone does things. That's not right. There's millions of different ways to do things. And saying, oh, if you haven't got this specific kind of CV, then you can't contribute, is clearly nonsense. And it's depriving you of, of all those other viewpoints that might help you do yes. things slightly differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's really, that's A, quite sad, and B, quite dangerous. I think you've also got to know your own limitations and if you when you're talking about football is not to not to pretend you know more than you do yeah. and that applies to both former players and the uninitiated the other three of us sat around this table because I, I find you know as a commentator which is what I do and I'm not chatting to you guys is that sometimes you come away from doing a commentary with a a very knowledgeable co-commentator and you feel like you've learned something over mm. the course of that 90 minutes you know they've made observations about tactics or a player's strengths or weaknesses which have opened your eyes to to something that you hadn't previously mm. considered there are others where perhaps you're alongside the kind of co-commentator who doesn't offer that kind of observation and, and doesn't provide, insight yeah doesn't provide the extra depth that you as a commentator can't do because you've not played the game and you feel like you you come away disappointed because as a team perhaps you've not delivered the service that people might anticipate getting because as a commentator my job is to to call the game as I see it and I feel like you know Andy as a co-commentator his responsibility is to to add the depth add the colour take the American phrase I would be the play-by-play 
Andy is the colour. They're, they're two quite distinct jobs. And, and actually, one of the, the, the worst types of commentary are the ones where those the lines get blurred. Mm-hmm. So it does work both ways. Yes, as a former player, you might have the mentality to say, look, you've not played the game at the highest level. So what what do you know? I think I need to, I as a commentator, need to accept that but equally your job as a former player yes is to make sure that you're filling in the gaps don't leave me floundering yeah 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 i think there's a danger as well funny enough that the kind of the the re- reflexive response to kind of you you never played the highest level so you don't know anything is to say well actually rubbish i do know stuff uh, and then to discount what former players have to say and i think that that's wrong as well that there is as steve says there is a value to what people who have been there say and i don't think those of us either in the media or as fans, just as fans, I think that there is a point at which those of us in the media or just as fans have to say, look, they, they have, you know, these former players have been, or the current players, in fact, have been in these situations that what they say has value, but that is not to say that what you say doesn't have value as well. Although it always amuses me when you get fans throwing the, you never played at the game at the highest level, so what do you know accusation so fans at journalists? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you sort of think, well, neither of you. <laughs> so... So this what is it, are you saying your own opinion is irrelevant? Because if that's the qualification, that's that's the only available conclusion. And you've never written a several hundred word match report on a very tight deadline. You've seconds never, after the whistles. You've never that. written a woolly feature that people aren't reading. <laughs> <laughs> but also in terms of successful coaches and managers now, it's yes, of course, you've got to understand the technical side of the game, which you can learn whether you've played or you've not. But it's about man management as mm. well, probably more than ever because of the finances in the game. So actually, the skill in maybe coaching a team maybe someone from outside of the football world if they're very good at man managing people can actually get the job done because the game isn't the game Ooh, no geez, but the game a pitch out is what you'd have like a tactics specialist a conditioning specialist the, and a man management an the, hr is department the, yeah is the game massively complicated because if i can understand it and i when i look at the game and, you went to and a I, grammar school goddamn yeah i did go to a grammar school william hughes grammar school for the advancement of young gentlemen <laughs> but <laughs> the thing was is I, it still I, called that no it's not it's called the Andy Hinchcliffe academy um <laughs> The thing I, I'm looking at these things, and to me they make sense. But then I always think, well, wait a minute, if that makes sense to me, it must be rubbish. But then people back up coaches mm. or people who've not necessarily been involved in the game back up what you're saying. So you think, well, that's got a good chance of of being true. But it, it has nothing to do with the fact because I listen to a lot of former players, meet a lot of former players, and they talk cobblers. They might as well be North shoemakers. They talk that much cobblers. <laughs> I was going to do a joke about Northampton Town. Oh, were you? Yeah. Well, I've, I've still stolen your thunder there. But, um, but yes, yeah, so actually, modern. I think whether in any sport, possibly being able to manage people, have a team of people to manage a group of players. Mm. Surely it's more about how you interact with those players than whether you played the game or not. But so it's very interesting. A, div- a division it? of labour, you're saying, in the yeah, modern game yeah, is, a little yeah, yeah. Bit, is a little bit different. It used to be that the manager was the coach, was mm. the man manager, was the everything. Yes. He bought in players, he negotiated contracts, but, but these days it has been diversified to the point mm. that you could actually subdivide it so much mm. that you it doesn't matter whether you played at the highest level because that that is not being applied well, that's that what knowledge. Huddersfield did they had a philosophy to do with the club they brought David Wagner in after apparently Stuart Webber who's moved to Norwich now probably sneaked into a, a training session and saw what Wagner was doing and thought he's a guy that could work with us and he works within the philosophy of the club so it's not just David Wagner deciding on everything there's a hierarchy there but again it's all about management of mm. and it's very interesting to hear the little tweaks that he does the times that if they've got a night game they train at night for three or four days 
mm. things like that, which I think, well, well don't, don't everybody do that? I don't think they do. But it's, again, it's about managing people to get the best out of them. And he was a reasonable player, David Wagner, wasn't he a, played, played for America, a star yeah. player, was yeah. he? But he, he was a, a, but clearly with a real brain. So he's kind of probably really on the borderline between being a player and being someone who wasn't heavily involved, or wasn't a superstar, mm. but clearly had such a talent to adapt what he has and understand the game to really put it into to, to good effect. So it can happen. But and if, you've, and if you've played for a club, if you've played at any sort of level, it doesn't have to have been, you know, at the top level like Andy. If you've if you've worked and trained within a football environment for sort of ten or fifteen years for the course of a career, you can't help but have picked things yeah. up from hugely knowledgeable people. But that doesn't make you Superbly knowledgeable Is that about Mourinho football. Was a, was a translator, wasn't he, when he first started? It was one of his first. One of his, so this, yeah, he, was kind of a, he was involved yeah. in a club, wasn't he? He yeah. wasn't. He did his coaching badges and worked in yeah. a club and worked with Bobby Robson and what have you. There's no. And if you look at loads of coaches, there's no kind of sign that that you have to have had a, a sort of stellar playing career to be a good coach. In fact, you'd say that the people like Cruyff are the are the exceptions yeah. rather than the rule. What I find interesting about the phrase "you never played at the highest level." And it was this thought was prompted by what Andy just said about is football that complicated, which I think is a really good question, because on one level, no, football is not complicated. It really annoys me when you hear people say, "Oh, you know, lots of different styles," and you know, he's doing this, and isn't it interesting? You sort of think, well, there's two ways of playing football. Much like there's only five ways of having sex. <laughs> there's two ways of playing football. Brilliantly, five, really well, <laughs> exceptionally, more than I've ever. What's five? Five. We'll, talk, we'll, we'll, wow. we'll walk you through it later. Oh, you could uh, change my life. It's walking. <laughs> this is going to be. Um, there's going to be some diagrams involved oh. yeah. and equations uh, <laughs> chinch plus <laughs> equals horrible <laughs> but there's only two ways of playing football you either have the ball yeah or you don't yeah everything else is window dressing mm-hmm. so you either prioritize possession or you don't prioritize possession there's huge elements of, of football that we do and the media is more, more guilty or as guilty of this as people within the sport that we massively overcomplicate to pretend that it's much more kind of in-depth than it needs to be self-aggrandizing so, yeah yeah and it's but then you talk to coaches and the detail they go into and you think i always think uh, this occurs to me every time you talk to a manager you think there is not a chance in hell that your players understand that yes yeah. not you're saying oh you know i say i say to him that he has to do this in this area and then this in this area make this run you think not a chance not an absolute snowflake that all of your players are thinking oh I've got the ball in the final quadrant of the pitch I better do this yes. they're not thinking that they're just playing football yeah. and but then presumably you speak to the coaches who do more work who do more, who do more research who, who go into tactics more in depth who, who train in more zones these look Nadelsman at Hoffenheim they're dividing the pitch the training pitch is divided into 15 zones or something they tend to have more success. So maybe football is a more complicated sport than we give it credit for. But it's certainly not as complicated as we, as we in some ways, as we pretend that it is. But the, that, I suppose that's about marginal gains. That is about the highest level. When, when, when teams have good players, it's about making that extra little bit that makes you better than the other team who also had good players. But there's also this suggestion, isn't there, that, that anything can be taught Half of what we know is received wisdom. It's other people telling us what to think mm. and we're just using it as our own. Yeah. That's why we go to school. We, we start off not knowing anything and then we, we learn stuff and then we continue learning stuff for the rest of our lives. But you did a piece recently for the New York Times, an excellent publication um, about the Italian coaches at Cavacciano. So that yeah. is an example. If I or you or Steve were to go to Cavacciano and learn, could we be successful coaches because the schooling is so successful? I will give you two words in answer to that, Hugh Ferris. Not on your... No, that's too No, uh, Arido Saki. Genu- so, the, the, as Chint said, Ferdy wasn't 
a high level player Mourinho wasn't a high level player Benitez wasn't a high level player uh, Vendo Vendor actually in 30 to be fair were quite high level players but Sacchi genuinely wasn't a player went through the Italian coaching courses and is one of the most influential managers of all time so yeah I think if you have the right brain you don't need to have played football to be a good mm-hmm. coach as they are disparate skill sets I think having played high level football gives you an incredible and to an extent insurmountable advantage in terms of understanding the psychology of the players the pressures that they're under the mindset that they're in and what they respond to which is the stuff that we could never have because we've not been in that environment What about the argument from within the football club so as a player chinch you are being managed by a manager who either a had a high level playing career or b didn't yeah because you hear about all sorts of losing of the dressing room because they had no respect for that manager Mm -hmm. david moyes had that issue going into manchester united Mm -hmm. following sir alex ferguson is that the players must have whether it's subconsciously or not felt that this is not the same guy do i respect him in the same way so if you're a player in a dressing room and you're looking at that manager thinking well he did nothing yeah he might have been brilliant in his bedroom in Mainz with Jurgen Klopp crafting out this brilliant tactical ploy but I don't respect him because I am only thinking about what he won as a player himself is there an issue there? No I never all the managers I worked under I never I can never ever think I looked at them and said you're a poor player or you only played this level so that means I always listened and took on what they were telling me because I always again thought if they're coaching they must have something they've got an ability this is why they're in the job some of them weren't really cut out to do it but in time with experience I found, I always thought they all deserve to be where they were and they've got something to pass on and there's a reason why they're doing the job so I, I never thought about their careers it was and just how they were. It was just coaches. how they were, with, and how they dealt with. Well, certainly, when you get older, how they dealt with a lot of the younger players, which really annoyed me, is the kind of disrespect and the way that they dealt with you. Certain of the coaches I worked with who were brilliant, that didn't apply, and then you saw clearly how good they were. As a player, were you at a club that changed manager? Oh yeah. Because I played for them, the team were bloody awful. <laughs> so they had to and keep it was a lot harder to get rid of you. Yes, absolutely. They had to keep changing the coach. Yeah. So yeah. when you got a new manager in, yeah. did you, obviously this is before the internet, did you get your Encyclopedia Britannica out? <laughs> did you go to the local reference library to check no, out what they No, because again, done? I just presume, whoever was coming in, whether it be at Everton, Mike Walker coming in or Joe Royal coming in, I thought they're coming in to manage Everton. So you clearly... Automatically, you have respect for them because the club have decided this is the guy that's going to be in charge. I never ever right, I'm going to check on his record and see what he, you know what he won and, and who he played for. Never once. I'm assuming you're you're the exception, not the rule, to, to bring I, up the phrase that Roy did. Aren't there instances of other players who do make judgments based on their poss- assessment of the person? Possibly. As a I'm, only, I'm only saying it from my point of view. Did, but did I'm you sure not hear senior from players, yeah. not everybody is open-minded as you and Pat Nevin were. Well, absolutely. Yes. But also, yes, that's my, true. Only my, those two knew what a library or a reference library <laughs> was, was, by yeah. the way. Uh, <laughs> but equally, in those two examples, mm. Mike Walker had obviously just come off a brilliant season at Norwich. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe Royal was a big name. Yes. Uh, I would imagine that the players of the time, mm. the legendary players of that Everton Dodgers of War plus, yeah, yeah, plus yeah. Andy Hinchcliffe team. <laughs> the Chihuahua of Death. <laughs> Go on. Why did you need air quotes for that? <laughs> Chihuahua. There is no such thing. Because you know I'm a Rottweiler. <laughs> Carry on. Are you? Yes. Big and lazy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Foss yes. at the mouth quite the, um, rabies. <laughs> <laughs> With a quite squashed face that other people no, can't on, read. Hang on. There's no need for that. Carry on. Go on. Apparently Rottweilers don't make friends at... Uh, like Dodge daycare things because they have them and boxers yeah. other dogs can't read their faces Anthony Joshua doesn't make friends oh boxers dogs sorry boxers, sorry yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry boxers the dogs carry on interesting fact because yeah. they've got squashed faces that other dogs don't understand what, they, what they, they're saying that's maybe why no one goes out with Ian Dowie <laughs> <laughs> I just realised that 
Poor man. Poor man. I'm going to take him out for a beer. <laughs> can, I I say, can I say for the record, mm. I'm very fond of Ian Dowie. I'm very fond of Ian Dowie. He's a lovely man. He's actually nice. When you ring him, despite not knowing him, he does answer his phone and talk to you. Ian and Dowie. further to that, I can also say that his lovely wife, Debbie. Debbie Dowie. Is very lovely also. Just, just face just, or just no, 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 beautiful, no. Beautiful, beautiful. beautiful. Well, what point were you making? What? We've gone off the track here a little Debbie, bit. Debbie, you're beautiful. What on earth attracted you to millionaire footballer Ian Dowie? Does anything say about Nicky Hinchcliffe? Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> Go on, carry on. Anyway, anyway. you've lost. You've got the gone off. I've no idea. Off topic here. What were we talking about? Everton, Mike Walker. Yeah, no, but so oh, that, yeah. that's right. They yeah. would, they, they would have come in with, with reputations and names that the players would have respected. I think mm. you might have a problem. Like when that guy took over at Leeds from the Dog and Duck or whatever it was. Dave Forest Green Ray. Hockaday. Hockaday. Um, I think in that situation, the players would probably have looked at him and thought, mm, not really having you. I think in those extreme situations, it might be an issue. Mm. But I think when you're getting established managers in to clubs, man- you know, especially now in the days of Google and Ask Jeeves, <laughs> that you can... <laughs> <laughs> When was the last what? time you asked Jeeves? I always use Ask Jeeves. That was the wrong time for Chinch to take a sip of coffee. I only, I only, re- <laughs> I only mentioned Doodles. I know it's more popular, but I find Ask Jeeves is, is much more efficient. Um, that's not true. I think, I think they've discontinued it. <laughs> Yahoo Answers. Um, the, um, if you have a manager coming in, players will Google him and they will say, right, even if it's from a second division club in Germany, they will say, actually, it looks like he's done a pretty good job. I'm mm. sure of that. If, if nothing else to enthuse about the new manager. Yeah. But equally, it's in, and it's in the player's interest to believe that the new manager isn't a complete bozo because they want, presumably, to do well. It's not yeah. when a manager takes over a club, the players aren't thinking, brilliant, oh, this guy lasts 16 days so we get rid of him. <laughs> actually, strangely, it might have worked in reverse. When Paul Jewell came into Sheffield Wednesday, there was a lot of senior players there. There was myself, Des Walker was there, Kevin Pressman, Vim Yonk. I felt that Paul Jewell felt that we were all out to kind of pick him apart when we weren't. We absolutely, genuinely weren't. We were willing to say, a new coach comes in, doesn't matter about you. We don't, our reputations didn't really mean an awful lot. We just thought, right, we'll see how you want us to play and we'll get on with doing the best that we can. But it worked in reverse. I felt he felt a little bit strange about so having he players who had... defensive, you mean? Yes. Yeah. And he kind of thought, well, if we kind of said anything or criticised us, he, he took it, really took it personally because he felt we were having a go at him of not having maybe had the career that Des Walker's had. But that generally wasn't the case. But it maybe can work in reverse as well. Have we drifted off topic? Well, a little bit. A little I'm going to bring it back via yeah. Steve's comment. Because well, we, Rory was was clearly concerned earlier about whether we had enough material to to get through the Can entire podcast. So we've, uh, we've gone on, off on a massive tangent. Actually, the, we've we've had an edit and we're only three minutes in. Splendid. <laughs> the, the, the the point was, you know, you know, former players saying, "You've never played the game. What do you know about it?" Is that not a bit of the uh, shut up kind of? You know, playground. If you've, you've lost the argument, if you have to say yes. you've never played the game, Absolutely. you don't understand it. You've yep. lost the argument because you know a, a player, a pundit, former player, pundit, saying, for example, putting themselves in the shoe of a fan. Well, you know, we see that plenty of times. You know, why are the fans disgruntled about the team's performance of late, or why are they getting on the manager's back? They might say, well, they they should be showing that manager more respect. Well, mm-hmm. you've never been a fan. In the way that I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm a fan, yeah. so you, what, you can't talk to me like that. And Hugh and I work in broadcasting and have worked alongside many former players who have perhaps been been new to the industry and have, they've needed guiding through the early stages. For example, when you and Hugh yes, first started working yes. together, Chinch yes. learned everything yeah, yeah, from everything, me. Exactly. Everything, as, as he often accepts. So, <laughs> but but 
Hugh never said the words, well, you've never broadcasted before, Chinch. What do you know about ah, it? Ah, yes. And Rory, I would assume, on many occasions, has ghost-written a former player's Certainly have. Uh, column in a newspaper. Well, because that doesn't make them a journalist, because they've got a column in the newspaper. Rory Smith's written it for them. Mm. So, yeah, scumbags. Exactly. <laughs> so it, it seems really disingenuous to say you've never played the game what do you know about it when you're making now a career in an industry which perhaps six weeks ago well, you've never worked well in. that's why the first bit of advice when I got into the business of broadcasting was be a broadcaster who played football not a footballer who broadcasts because we all know they are dreadful <laughs> yeah I think the other thing that I'd like to say is that there's an interesting correlation between people who say I would imagine, between people who say, oh, you've never played at the highest level, so you don't know what you're talking about, and people who say, it's a very simple game. I would imagine the Venn diagram of those two groups of people is just one massive circle. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like the crossover between Claire Balding and me, if you remember from a few episodes. It's just everything in common. Yeah, I mean, you'd just be best mates. (laughs) But I think that there is, that it is to do with protecting your own knowledge, and and as Steve says, it is kind of a sign that you've you've run out of decent arguments. It's a reductive argument. It's it's basically when they feel like somebody has said something that they disagree with, but they don't know how to counter it. Mm. They just, it's it's an argument. Everybody does it in life. Say, they reduce it down yeah, to that. And your mum. Yeah, exactly. The other thing, and I think this, this needs to be stressed, is that the people it applies to most of all are fans. And pl- players and managers would never dream of saying that about supporters. But they seem sort of... Con- does it, that is who it's, it's, it's always addressed to. It's always addressed to people writing or talking about football. It are the people who've never played at the highest level, so they don't know what they're talking about. And as I said earlier, it comes from both directions. You get it from supporters as well as from people in the game. Then what's the motivation of it? I guess it's to protect yourself. It's to delegitimise people's opinions if you don't like them. Well, that's 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 we've talked Which about post truth before. Yeah. before. It's, you you won't accept an alternative argument to your own instead of discussing it and coming to the conclusion that you can both have an opinion and, yeah. and you'll agree to differ. You have to be right, and you will not accept any other version of events. Well, if players are stood in the tunnel before a Champions League final, or stood in the tunnel before a World Cup final. They should be able to give you a really fascinating insight into what it's like to be in that position. What's it like? To, oh no. We, yeah. uh, <laughs> no, well, no, no, no. But anyway, FA, they, FA, Cup FA Cup final. Can't remember a damn thing. Um, I had an injection in my leg. I think it went through my whole body. Deadened everything. So that should be really. They should be able to pass on the knowledge of what that feels like, and that's really important. But that doesn't extend to everything, everything in the game. Say, well, yeah, every game I played, then that means that uh, I have the right to bring the shutters down and say yeah. I played at the top level. You didn't. End of end of conversation. No, that, that can't be the case. Well, rather fittingly, we will end the podcast with something that only Chinch can bring to bear with the kind of experiences that he had as a player in Nevermind Jack and Ori What a Soccer Story when Andy tells us a tale from his days as a player or indeed a broadcaster a broadcaster who played football that has had all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed and actually I think Andy don't we go back to the FA Cup winning team of Everton for this soccer yeah, story yeah I, I was going to tell you the story where I stood in the tunnel before the Champions yeah. League final myself and Ronald Koeman um, <laughs> at Wembley but I won't tell you that story it's, it's very boring this we won yes we won the cup I don't think I won the cup we won the cup. Let's say we, How Everton, we yes, won the cup in, in 1995. One of the worst cup finals you've ever experienced. But we managed <laughs> to win quite, it. I quite enjoyed it. Really? Yeah. I didn't. It was awful. Lovely sunny day. Well, got a tan and won <laughs> yeah. the cup. But anyway, so this is, this is the, uh, the Christmas party of the December of that year. Being a true pro, I didn't go to many Christmas parties because I wasn't a big drinker. You know, that wasn't my scene. I would probably train. At the time, obviously, what the players like to do, as well as drink numerous amounts of, of beer, is is have like a 
a fancy dress competition at the same time. So I remember at the time at Everton, Anders Limpa had this fantastic bumblebee <laughs> costume. No, seriously, it was, um, I don't know where he got it from. It was absolutely amazing. Bumblebee uh, costume. He's got people there dressed as the Pope, people dressed as clowns. And we're all in this in this hotel in Liverpool, all dressed up in... I'm not going to tell you what I went as. Tell us what no, you went no, as. No, 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 no. Were you wearing super dry? No. <laughs> or was that not a big in 1995? Did you, did you go as a football I was of the cl- What? I was of the clergy, of the cloth. You went Any- as a nun. What? You went as a nun. That's what I got out of 10 every performance. <laughs> anyway, anyway. So we're all in this hotel room. Matt Jackson is a bit of a late arrival. So we're thinking, well, you know, where is he? What's he going to be wearing? He arrives at the Christmas party wearing the cup final suit. <laughs> but no, honestly, and it, it won the award for best <laughs> costume because you remember there was these cup final where Liverpool wore all these kind of cream Yeah, that was the year suits. after. Was year it after. the year? And they, were, they were kind of... But it was this kind of thing where it's a big thing for the players to be sponsored uh, by fancy companies. And is it Chiro Chiro Chiterio or something? It was well, it's obviously still not going because after High Street week, brand. High Street awful. But the, it was like grey slacks, a white shirt with like a navy blue misfitting blazer, a horrible tie, these black shoes which were like school shoes. It was the worst combination of stuff you could ever wear to go to a funeral, let, go to, let alone go to an FA Cup final. It was a dreadful combination of things. And he decided, I don't want to dress, the only thing I can dress up in, which is worse the worst thing to wear is the cup final suit from 1995 and it was that bad that he won the award that year for the worst or the best sorry the best costume at the Christmas party top banter from Matt Jackson well oh. it's like when you worked at Butlins or and also when you went to because I don't wear underwear you see when you went to the lavatory uh, like grey slacks like grey not even ha- in formal trousers if you have a bit no if you have a bit of a spillage it, it can look a bit but awkward change, this is why people wear underwear you no they don't hurt. why do people wear underwear to prevent drafts. Yeah. Drafts. You've yeah. got trousers chafing. on. Chafing. Chafing. You, you said drafts. You've not thought and about chafing. Why do you wear underwear? You don't even thought about it. And no, just common not even see, really. Yeah. Yeah. No one's going to see. I've got jeans on now, but whether I've got undercrackers on or don't not. Don't make us look you, at your groin, Chinch. It's inappropriate. You yeah. can't help it. You're like he, a moth did, to a flame. He did just sort of spread his legs a little bit further <laughs> wide and started pointing Have a look at that, Steve. Is that affecting Each you in any way? Look, go on. You can't oh, tell when I've got undercrackers on. Steve actually looked. That's really offensive. <laughs> he was twitching. My eyes were broad. Are you, are you shaking your head in, in admiration of what you just witnessed? We have discussed your yes. your non-wearing of underwear but previously on this podcast. Clearly. And it disgusts me. I What? It disgusts it you. Right, disgust okay. Me. Well, I don't wear them because I like just to go free. That's, when I played, I didn't wear any of those jockey shorts, whatever it was, just... Flopping about in the old shorts. You know? <laughs> I am sick to death of being led down Chinch's pelvic <laughs> pelvic path. Cul-de-sac. <laughs> well, it would probably be fitting at this point if he were to just simply draw a line under that sorry stop. affair. Let's just um, stop. There's many women that have been down my pelvic cul-de-sac. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Well, you know that line that you're, yes. you're told not to cross? Yeah. It's basically 20 yards yeah. behind you and you're running away from it. It's the claxon going off. <laughs> Let's not even do the outro. Let's just stop. So in the absence of any other way of ending this thing, I'm going to say... Please 
please do subscribe, share and rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Uh, if you're having second thoughts, we completely understand. Follow us on Twitter at setpiecemenu. Email at us setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Once again, thank you to everybody who's got in touch. We will, of course, as we did today, steal ideas from you. Thank you to Steve, Rory and Andy and to you for listening as ever. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon. That is, unless Steve leaves me somewhere. Three of us will be here next time. Hugh is not a guarantee. Absolutely. I think that's right. I, I remember dreading. I tried to strive having a stag. And I remember my oldest friend very kindly offered to arrange it. And it was very small. There's only four or five of us. And um, I dreaded every second of it. And was really relieved when I got home. Just because you, <laughs> there's this constant pit of... Why do you just not go? What's about to happen? He'd been really nice about arranging it. And it was a really lovely gesture. Mm. But you sort of think, well... I knew that at any point something really unpleasant might happen to me. It was and like, did it? Yeah, a few things. Yeah, did well, they? What yeah. your 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 what? stag do for your first marriage? You'd have been very young. Did what? you actually have one? Why'd you have to dredge that up? Because it's you know painful memories. They're having therapy to get over that marriage, <laughs> and is you dredging it up again? Well, surely before the happy memories. Yeah, if it was wrong. before you were married, no. What did you? I, do? Knew I was doing the wrong thing at the time. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>... <laughs>